If I hadn't seen such riches, I could live with being poor. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back one and all to our latest episode. It's been a fragmented month thanks to the Nations League and we've seen Rovers stutter, stumble and then finally sit down at the hands of our Lancastrian neighbours to the west. As usual, we have a panel raring to go and share their observations, so let's meet them. Our first guest is demonstrating the entrepreneurial acumen worthy of a Dragon's Den contestant with the impending launch of some Ginger Ninja merchandise. Yes, it's Jen Bellamy. How are you, Jen, and how are the badges coming along? I'm tip-top, thank you. And as far as I know, the badges are coming along very nicely. They are in production as we speak. Ooh, when do you think you'll get your sticky paws on them and that we can buy them then? They said early December. I did mention that we were at home on the 1st of December. They won't give any promises or guarantees, but they are trying their best just to get them to me before then. But handy stocker filler Christmas presents notwithstanding. Indeed, with all profits going to charity, chosen by Mr Harrison Mead himself. Of course, excellent stuff. So, uh, we all know you're a Rovers fan, but what's the second result that you would look out for then on a Saturday? Uh, Blackpool, because it's my mum's team. And these days, also a second one is I look out for the Codheads now, too, because of where we live and who we're married to. Splendid. You're married to a fish. I am. (laughs) Splendid. (laughs) Right. Next up, he's come through the Academy, and tonight he has the opportunity to stake a claim to the illustrious Ben Brereton wide right in a front three berth. We've got him on loan from Rovers Chats 1875 podcast, and therefore we're going to play him out of position until he proves himself. It's Tom Schofield. Welcome back, Tom. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been probably the preview to the season was last on. Something like that. So, yeah, it's uh, been a while and thanks for having me back. You're welcome. So it's an opportunity for you to stake a claim and get a squad number and all that sort of good stuff. Uh, well, si- similar to, to Burton, I prefer that, that role through the centre, but you know, I'll take my, <laughs> take my chances, take chances where they come. come. <laughs> yes, very good. And at five o'clock on a Saturday, what's the result that you would look out for then after Rovers? Yeah, I'd probably say Stanley. That's probably the closest team to where I live in a, a rotten stall. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'd probably, probably go for Accrington as the, the team that I look out for. And obviously, Andy Holt on Twitter is very vocal, so I can't really miss it. He's a good follower on Twitter. He really is. Yeah, he's he like, put some really, really illuminating stuff out there as well about the finances of uh, lower league football, which really makes you think. And finally... Uh, his podcast equivalent of a solo album, the revisionist Rovers piece on Graham Sooness, started quite the debate on the forum, and we got almost 2,500 views at last at time of recording, anyhow. It's the Marple Leaf, it's Michael Taylor. How do we find you tonight, Michael? Yeah, very good, thanks, Ian. Super, and which team do you look for after Rovers? Well, can I have two? You can. Lancaster City, my hometown team, mm-hmm. and Stockport County, which is the team closest to where I live and where a lot of my, a lot of my son's mates support County. And I want them back in the Football League. It's the answer to the quiz question when they get back in the Football League, isn't it, about which, which, which team is closest to the River Mersey? Yeah, it is. <laughs> so there you go, that's your panel. Let's start with a review of the international break affected November. So I know we're reviewing this before the Wigan match. Uh, we'll deal with that shortly. Um, but in November, we've played three. We won one, drawn one, and lost one. Uh, we'll have a look at the highs and lows, but specifically then, QPR. Jen, what were your thoughts on that performance? Nah. I, ugh. Yeah, it, it's one of those that you tipped up, and thank goodness we came home with three points after it, because it was Robbins. QPR came with a game plan. that To set up with said game plan from the first minute is painful. 
as a support, especially with their lot stuck in top tier, all four of them <laughs> in the Darwin end as well. It oh, thank goodness we got the penalty. Even though when we got the penalty, you're then going, "Who goodness me is going to take this?" Thank goodness he netted it. Was he ever go- was he ever going to miss with those pink boots though? It, it's happened, hasn't it? With with previous for this and with no Mogu on the pitch, it was I I couldn't watch it. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, yeah, the, the confidence that you you normally get from watching Charlie approach the ball, but he stuck it away nicely. But yeah, it didn't linger long in the memory that one. Michael, no, Rotherham. Yeah, I thought we absolutely battered him. We should have won about five nil. Frankly, I love the fact that Ryan Nyambi came back off the bench and was a uh, instrumental in our some real momentum, particularly down that. Um, to down that right hand side in the second half, I thought he he looked amazing. Yeah, it takes a it took a goal to to get the point, but frankly, I think we should have had it all wrapped up quite easily. I thought Rotherham were a pretty dire team, and we were we were good for the win, but uh, it wasn't to be. They're quite resilient, though, aren't they? They're, they're a side that are very difficult to beat, notwithstanding you know they, they held Sheffield United, didn't they, at the weekend? Yeah, you you just need that little bit more in the locker to beat yeah. some of these teams to get through their defence. It reminded me of the early season game against Millwall, where I thought we were the better team, but. Yeah. The difference was they had a fantastic goalkeeper who I noticed was on top form against Bolton at the weekend. And, you know, it's, you just need that little bit of extra. And I don't think we've quite hit that next higher gear in some of these games that's cost us uh, two points. Indeed. Well, one game that we very definitely, definitely didn't reach top gear in was last Saturday's. Um, coming in off a long run now, I think it's fair to say. Tom, you, you were a bit of a Twitter star on Saturday night. Yeah. Um, Possibly got your blood pressure down. but Yeah, uh, I worded my tweet wrong, I think, the one that got a, a little bit of traction. The reaction, that, yes. Yeah, it was, it, I think I did word it wrong, to be fair, saying that it, I, the way I worded it seemed like I was saying the players didn't care. And I didn't mean that at all. It's just the performance... It was the first time in a long time I'd felt like they didn't. I think it was the nature of it uh, and the fact that I was there as well. And it's a derby. You, you expect something, don't you? And it just wasn't there against Preston. It was, a re- it was a really odd one because I don't think there was any... It was one of those where there was no one or two obvious errors and you sort of think, we just need to do X and Y and we'll get back in this. I don't know about you, but I, I found that when I was watching it, I thought, well, the defence doesn't look too good down either flank and down the middle, and the midfield's struggling, apart from Reed, and we've not literally, not really got much wide. Armstrong's not getting much possession. We've nothing up front. And no, it like just, a, yeah. A it was a really board. strange game. It was really strange, because I think the slow start doesn't help, and I think that's something that we're perhaps guilty of too often, a slow start, slow starts and, and slow at finishing at times. And obviously two early goals, you, you, you're giving yourself a lot to do yeah. and we just never really recovered from that did we um, I, I mean, the, the opening few minutes of the second half you get the equaliser and you think right turn the screw come on go for it yeah definitely and we just I don't know after five or six minutes of putting them under pressure it's almost like they reverted back to type then I felt like 2-1 there was a chance we could go on to possibly even and win the game when yeah, it was yeah, so definitely. early in that first in the second half sorry the ideal start we, yeah it was perfect I was, with my dad um, and I said to him, I said, right, that's what we needed there. That early goal, we can bombard them now. And I expected it just to be constant attacking. But like I said, after four or five minutes of uh, second half, just don't know, it didn't seem to, to come off, did it at all? It was it was really, really odd. I had the distinct pleasure of going with a former school friend of mine who's uh, a Preston North End season ticket holder who went out for lunch beforehand. And he was saying that 
he would he would happily take a draw before the game, and his prediction was three three, because he sort of said we're, we're we're quite dangerous going forward. We always look capable of scoring, but we've we've not got a particularly robust defence. And they were saying that um, they were they were their centre back pairing was was susceptible to uh, high balls, and that that showed with Danny Graham's goal. But we, I don't know, we just never got going. I don't think the selection helped. I'm sure that we might get onto that a little bit later on. But if, like you say, the centre-halves were susceptible to long balls, why were we playing Bradley Dack as a centre-forward? Did you work out where me? Casey Palmer was meant to be playing? He seems to be playing right across the that front three and behind what is usually Danny Graham's position where Dak was playing. He seemed to be playing right across that front three. I couldn't tell. I thought that he was going to play in what is usually Dak's position, that number 10. Yeah. But he was everywhere. Yeah. It was just a really strange... I just can't understand why he didn't start Brereton. If he's not if he's not going to start Graham, which is fine, I think that Brereton would have been dealt a great deal of confidence if he'd have gone with him there. Yeah. Like I, said, I don't want to be too negative at all. I wish that goal had counted. Yeah, well, that, it should have counted as well. Because obviously, not only would it have uh, transformed the game, but it would have it would have given him the the boost of confidence needed. I, I have Definitely. to say, in the Lions' defence, live, my first reaction when the ball hit the net was to turn left and look to see if the flag had gone up because I thought he was about a yard off. Then yeah. when I saw it on TV, I thought, "Oh crikey!" <laughs> no, he wasn't. He actually wasn't, and it's really quite frustrating. But I think we got what we deserved. But on that Brereton point, Michael, can I bring you in? What what? What do you think is going on here? Do you think that Mowbray wanted him and is moulding him, or do you think he's he's just trying to turn a square peg to fit a round hole? I don't know why he's playing him wide, but what I will say is that both the last two home games, QPR and Rotherham, he's um, he's had an impact when he's come on. He, he's a nuisance. I like the fact that he gets amongst it. I'm delighted that he's getting some game time. Tom is absolutely right. If he's gonna, if Mowbray is gonna play. Brereton, he should play him at centre forward. That's his position, and he can get right onto the centre backs, be the nuisance in the middle rather than cutting in from the from, from a wide position. And I'd just like to have some stability in the team. I'd like Mowbray to just have a plan and stick to it. Well, Jen, you are known for your phrase "positive pants." Um, I'm going to put a proposition to you now and respond Thanks. to this. Then it's one win in five. Should we be concerned? See, I had prepared for November, say we've got, what, four points out of nine in November? So far, yeah. Yeah. Um, Not concerned yet, no. No, keep the faith. However, I'm with Mr Taylor. Let's try playing centre-forwards, forwards and central, please. Let's try playing the creative players a little bit further back so they can run onto stuff. He's a big lad. Brereton, yeah, he's not built like a brick house. Thanks. Does he need all this upper body strength to do it? Do, does he really need... Is it going to give him anything playing out on the wing? It, obviously, Mowbray knows what he's talking about, and I clearly don't. But he's a centre-forward that we bought as a centre-forward that was playing centre-forward at Nottingham Forest, that was scoring goals as a centre-forward for Nottingham yeah. Forest. Bloody play him as centre-forward, please. Mm, we seem to play a number of key players out of position on Saturday and pay the consequences for it. But just before we Not leave... just Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Not before we leave this, this Brereton point, Tom, you were at, and we'll talk about this more a bit later on, the fan consultation meeting, but just with particular regard to the comments about Brereton, what, what did Tony Mowbray say about this upper body strength piece? It actually started for me a bit 
further back because when I was at the Lancashire Telegraph, he mentioned that he saw him as a wide right player and something was brought up similar to that at the consultation meeting. And he just, he basically said that he lacks the upper body strength that Graham has. Therefore, he can be bullied by big central defenders. Right. So for the time being, he sees him as that wide, wide forward, if you will, um, which I don't understand. And for a professional football, that must be a bit frustrating to hear your manager talk like that. And I'd get, I don't want to be overcritical of Mowbray. Love the man. But yeah, it's a, it's a strange one, that. I just wondered, and, and I speculated tonight in a, in a couple of Twitter exchanges, did, did Mowbray really want Sam Gallagher? Because everything that he describes when he talks in that fashion it is could be applied to Sam Gallagher. And it's almost like, well, you can't have him, or we couldn't afford him. Maybe his wages were, were too big. And so we've got this this kid, and he's trying to mould him to be that kind of player. It's it's a bit it's it strikes me as being a, a little bit odd. I have to say, and we'll see what's one. But someone else who's stuttering a bit as well is is our mate Bradders. We've scored three goals in three games uh, in November. Michael, do you think he's fit? Do you think he's distracted? Is the community service taking it out of him? What what do you think is going on there? I've absolutely no idea. Um, if you look at the goals that he scored this season, they've all been when they've got the ball into the box and it's essentially tappings and he's, he's making those charges into the box. As he said when he was interviewed on um, The Price is Right. Sorry, um, um, Sky <laughs> Soccer Saturday. Um I don't know. I think he's finding his feet. As Mowbray mentioned at that press conference where he was asked quite a lot about Dak, he did say, you know, Bradley's come a long way. He's never played in the championship before. He's adjusting to a very different pace of game. He's adjusting to a different quality of opponents. Absolutely. He's not going to be dancing around them like he did in the um, like he did in League One last season or in his heyday with Gillingham. This is he has to find new tricks in his locker. Not just the fancy footwork, but he's not going to have the time and space that he did have. Mm. So, you know, he's in, he's in a transition, and this is a real, real, real curve mm. for um, real turning point for both Mowbray and Dak mm. in their relationship about how good he can actually be. There's an interesting um, couple of tweets from John Lee, who's on Twitter as Brisbane Rover, uh, and he sort of said Blackburn Rovers nowhere near as good as some people think, nowhere near as bad as some people think. I thought, yeah, yeah, that, that's a pretty shrewd assessment, actually. It, it, it's fascinating, I always think, after after a heavy defeat, and we've had a couple of those already this season, how it polarises opinions quite quickly. And we've got another game coming up on Wednesday. Apologies to everyone for reviewing November before November's finished, but uh, that's more to do with my calendar than anything else. So let's cover all the bases on the Wigan game then. John, what a fantastic bounce back after Preston and a great win at Wigan. Yeah, that was that was a good result. Brilliant. Everything we needed to happen, they did everything we wanted them to. Go, boys. Excellent. Um, Tom, a, a useful draw. Good point to where it went. Oh, yeah, you know, after coming off the back of that Preston game, the point point's always the, the, a good result to get ourselves back on the board, isn't it? So, yeah. Marvellous. And Michael, uh, disappointing. Two local derbies in quick succession, two consecutive defeats. Obviously, Mobile. Yeah, absolute pile of <laughs> Get rid of Mobile. Absolute <laughs> bloody shambles. I'm going to have to hit that alarm button again, aren't I? Super. That's out my point. 
<laughs> so there we go that's november um well november yeah no that's november because we've covered all the bases for wigan yes just just pick and choose whichever response that you want uh, a parental advisory there on michael's i think we'll have a little break to let it Jim wasn't me recover a composure all right. and well, should we record that again then no no, no that, that's absolutely fine no, leave it in please leave it in uh, I'll, I'll put the uh, i'll put the bleep button on because it makes it funnier when i do that okay you're listening to the BRFCS podcast, the only podcast approved to cover the 2018-2019 season by the New York City Rovers. Don't forget to check out www.brfcs.com. Okay, we've also seen recently some uh, some new contracts handed out, uh, new two-year deals for Charlie Mulgrew and uh, Elliot Bennett. Tom, the right deals, the right time? The right players to be rewarded? Um, yeah, I think that Mulgrew was, was out of contract in the summer, wasn't he? So I think obviously getting him tied down as your captain's important. That being said, two years, I was a bit surprised at that. But then he reckons he can play till 40, doesn't he? I mean, who's to say he can't? Pretty happy with the new contracts. I think Bennett, obviously, he seems to sign a contract every year. But I mean, he's an important player for us. So tying these players down is only beneficial for us isn't it yeah ben, ben it's not as old as i thought he was and i don't mean that in any disparaging way at all i think he's one of those players that he seems to have played for a number of clubs and been around for quite a while but yeah he's actually he, another two years for a guy who's uh mostly 30 going on 31 kind of thing is is not too outrageous of course when charlie mulgrew signed we well a number of us me included thought with his injury record that was incredibly optimistic signing up for three years so extending his deal is probably the one that's questionable at best. Michael, what, what's your perspective? Is that duration about right or too long? Yeah, I think it is. I, th- I think there's uh, a lot that Charlie Mulgrew can bring. If you, if you look at the trajectory of his career, he's played midfield in a wide position. He's played fullback. We brought him, I thought, as a centre midfield player. And he's ended up as a commanding centre-half. I, I, I think he reads the game very well. Listen, I caveat all this by saying I wasn't at Preston. And I did see him wrapping himself around the post like a Scottish goalkeeper for the first few minutes. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I love watching Charlie Mulgrew. I think he brings something really special to the team. And I think you know if he feels he's got the fitness to be able to play, um, he could be a big part of the whole squad setup. And I, I was absolutely delighted. The one player I'd really like to see commit himself to a long term is Daryl Lenehan. Again, caveat that by saying I wasn't at Preston, but. I think he's a player that's learning from Mulgrew and mm. can only get better and better. Yeah, we'll talk. And hopefully, can break break into his international team. Now it's got those two idiots out of the uh, management seat. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So, one person who hasn't yet signed a new contract, Jen, is the manager. What's going on there? Do you think? I have no idea, but he needs to sign something soon, doesn't he? I guess he needs to be offered something. Um... Well, there is this. That man's done so much. If it's possible to award a knighthood of Blackburn give it to him because he's I think I tweeted this earlier he's restored the pride that we have in our team and the heart that's in the club that he's made that happen so many people that come to this club when they sign on they say it's what Mowbray said to them that made them want to come it's Mowbray that might get Reed to sign mm. in January yeah. and if he does that 
give it in for 20 years. <laughs> no bias there at all. Did you Have you Not seen um, the um, the quote from Tony Mowbray that Rovers tweeted out tonight um, about the pan, the fans having passion and all that sort of stuff? It's, uh, if you haven't seen oh, it, yes. it's worth it's worth picking out. It's, uh, it's When you read stuff like that, it's, it's what makes you think, yeah, we've got the right guy in charge here after some of the um, chances that we've had in charge over the last few years. So It warms the cockles of your heart, doesn't it, that he gets it. Um, pa once, once um, said to a boyfriend of mine that, that came to a football match and said, by the way, our Jennifer loses a sense of humour after a match if we get beat. And I do. But Mowbray gets that. He, he gets that we passionately care. And people will go, ooh, it's only a game. It, it, no, is it, Bobbins? It, it's more than that. And Mowbray gets that. And he's instilled something back that was dearly, dearly missing from the fan base from the club that they're now playing for the badge on the shirt and that man made it happen yeah i think he he recognizes the importance of the relationship with the fans as well and it's something that uh, that dara said in, in his interview with us that uh, when you ta- when when they're attacking the blackburn end and there's a proper roar you know, the fans have a have a role to play and that was the disappointing thing on saturday was that we had the stuffing knocked out of us so quickly we've conceded two goals that it it never really recovered from that. For a few minutes when Danny Graham scored, but we never really put that support behind the team. But it, it, yeah, we've, we've touched about Preston, we won't go too much back into it. But also, again. the lads have had the brass testicles come out on social media that they could have hidden, and I didn't want them to hide. As much as they come up and go, hooray, we did it, I want them to come out when we've not done I don't want them to say we go again, because that gets right <laughs> up my nose. But I want them to say we weren't good enough and you didn't deserve that, and they have done. Yeah, well, it's a double-edged sword, that, and I must admit, I'm not quite sure which, which side I fall on. I kind of, you know, do you talking on the pitch? I'm not I'm not that fussed about them coming on social media, either to rave about a great performance or to apologise for a bad one. I kind of sort of say, the opportunity to put it right, well, you've got an opportunity in midweek, go to Wigan, win. That's how you can apologise. As long as it's not a fobbing off apology, when you know, whereas I think our lads mean it. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Right, we've talked about it already, so let, let's come back round about the, the speculation regarding one or two players in our in our squad, but principally around Bradley Dack. And Tom, I don't know if you picked anything up when you did your stint at the, at the LT, but those rumours won't go away. And there are I, I have a couple of West Brom supporting friends from my, from my days down in Birmingham, and they're convinced that they're going to come back in January and bid again. Will Will Bradley Dack be the first member of the current squad to play in the Premier League? I think there's a chance he will be, but I don't think it'll be in January. If he leaves, it will be either the summer or the summer after that. If he left in January, I'd be really shocked. And I think he probably will be the next one. I'd say Dara, because I think Dara's a great centre-half, and I think he will play in the Premier League as well. But I think Dak's the one that gets the plaudits, rightly or wrongly. He's the one that catches the eye, isn't he? Because of yeah, definitely. Because he's a goal scorer and all the rest of it. Definitely. But as you say, and you and Michael have both sort of said, I think Dara Lenahan, uh, he's on an upward curve in his career. Michael, other than those two, is there anybody else in the current squad that you think might catch the eye of Premier League scouts? Yeah, I tell you what, I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here and say Lewis Travis. Ooh. I think he's an exceptional player. I don't actually pretend to understand anything at all about the Premier League anymore. I don't understand the teams that are in it, why they're in it, um, what the squads are made up. And if I'd had more time, I would have done some research. How many ex-Rovers players are currently playing in the Premier League? 
beyond Tom Kearney, um, Josh King. Now, Phil Jones. I thought Ke- Phil Jones, of course. Yes. Well, he hardly, yeah. <laughs> the lad Keane, who we had on loan, who's at Everton now. Yeah. Um, it's a handful, and they're not necessarily, you wouldn't think, the bedrock of our best team of the last few years are all playing at the top end of the championship, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's half of the Norwich team for a start. So I think it could be somebody like Travis. Um, That's I, interesting. I still, cool, think he, I still think he can break into the Rovers team. And I just think he could... Um, I think he's got that natural ability. And I don't see people like Smallwood and Bennett and obviously Mulgrew's. You know, they're, I think that they're, they're at the peak of their career. I think Mulgrew's... Yeah. Obviously, his peak was when he was at Celtic and he's captained his country. But just as, a, as an alternative, Dak, Lenehan seem obvious, but... I just think there's something special about Travis, and we haven't got anywhere near, anywhere near even the best out of him yet. Well, I'm going to go, I was going to say left field, but actually right field, Ryan Nyambi. Yeah, that's a good shout. I know, a goalkeeper as well, uh, David Raya. Well, yeah, I don't think he'll play in the Premier League, I think he'll end up going back to Spain. Right. But that's a good call as well. Yeah. So, yeah, the, 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 let's, let's be positive pants. I'm sure this will win favour with Jen. Yeah, the, we have got four or five very promising young players, and the prospect of some others coming through from talented academy. So, yeah, Mowbray's idea about improving each window incrementally. I think that there's plenty to have a go at there. So that's how we can hang on to everybody. We're going to take a little break now, and when we come back, we're going to get the velvet tones once more of our Canadian correspondent Bill Arthur, who's done another piece this time about Brock Hall. The 100th episode of the podcast, where Ian went to Brockhall, invoked lots of memories for me. For most of you, the word Brockhall is synonymous with Rovers, but for me it also means 18 years of childhood memories. I'm assuming that most of you know that before it became Brockhall Village and the home of the Rovers Training Centre, it was a mental hospital until it was closed in 1992. If you didn't know that, you do now. In February 1949, my parents moved from Scotland so that my dad could take up a job at the farm at Brock Hall. I was three months old. Dad immediately started following Rovers, and of course my brother and I followed suit when we were old enough. I could go on for ages with childhood stories about living at Brock Hall, but I'm going to keep this Rovers related. Otherwise I can imagine lots of you hitting the fast forward button. Although maybe you do that anyway. At the far end of Brock Hall, on the site of what is now the Rovers Academy, the hospital had a sports ground with two full-size football pitches and a five-a-side pitch. On the other part of the site was a cricket field and in between the two was a pavilion with changing rooms and showers. Next to the cricket pitch was a tennis court. The grounds were in a natural hollow with slopes on three sides and farmland and the river Ribble on the other. From our house I could just jump the fence, cross the field and there we could kick a ball for hours, except when the hospital team had a game. I spent so much time there, whether on my own kicking a ball into an empty goal, or playing a game with friends. It was the usual kind of kids game, maybe start with three or four aside, and as more arrived we would just add them to the teams and play until it got dark. If it was just me and my brother, we'd take it in turns to be goalie and centre forward. Sorry, I said I was going to keep this Rovers related. So, back to Rovers. For years, Rovers did not have proper permanent training facilities, and much to my surprise, in 1977, they did their pre-season training at Brock Hall, on the same pitches that we used to play on as kids. There was something really special about that. 
my team was training on my pitch. So one day I took some time off work and just turned up to watch with my dad. There are three specific things that I remember about that day. Jim Smith was the manager at that time, and what an eye-opener it was when I heard the industrial language of the training pitch. I had never heard anybody swear as much as Jim did. Secondly, David Wagstaff was with us in those days. What a delight it was to watch him play and to watch him train that day. Anyway, Rovers were due to go on a pre-season trip. I can't remember where to, but Waggy did not want to go. He had a hotel in Blackpool and he didn't want to leave it, so was feigning injury, but Jim Smith knew what was going on. I learnt this from an old family friend, George Thompson, who was acting as caretaker at the ground, opening the pavilion, making the tea and closing up afterwards. And Waggy had confided in George. I think Waggy ended up going on the trip. He couldn't put one over the wily Jim Smith. The other thing I remember was George telling us about the new signing from Spurs who looked to be a real good one. He was talking about Noel Brotherston and how right George turned out to be. His potential was obvious and I followed his career with particular interest after that. That season, 1977-78, I bought my first season ticket. Rovers had been trying to sign Jack Lewis, but with finances the way they were, they could not initially agree a deal with Grimsby. But right at the start of the season, they did manage to strike a deal. I like to think my purchase of a season ticket was the clincher to provide the money. It was rather ironic that having purchased a season ticket, I then got my own transfer the following January, with a promotion at work and a transfer to London. In August 1981, I was back in the north for my brother's wedding, and, as luck would have it, Rovers were again doing their pre-season training at Brock Hall. On that occasion, they had moved across from the football pitches to the cricket ground, which gave them a much better surface. But what the heck, they were still in my playground. It was still special. Our old friend George was once again doing the caretaker job, and he introduced me to Bobby Saxton, and we exchanged a few words and I got permission to take some photos of the training session. Parks, Fazakali, Keeley, Rathbone, Brotherston, et al. were there. I published the photos on Twitter some time ago, and will republish them shortly, in case you missed it, as they say on Twitter. As I said at the outset, Brock Hall Hospital closed in 1992, and Rovers had bought the land on which the old sports field was located. So now my playground was being converted to a state-of-the-art training centre for a Premier League team. Once that was done, the academy was constructed on land which was previously women's wards, the hospital bus stop, and a hayfield for the farm. That facility, when completed, was so much better than the first team training facility that they swapped them round. I think that was in the Graham Soonis era, and what was the academy is now the senior training centre, which Ian visited, and vice versa. And that's my Brock Hall connection and story for you. I said I would keep this to Rovers related stuff, but I have to tell you how great it was as a kid to have that facility on my doorstep. It didn't matter about the muddy pitches, the puddles in the middle of the goal mouth, that the pitch was frozen in winter. We played all the time, and when it was getting dark, the cry, whatever the score was, next goal wins!
So last week there was a, a fan consultation meeting and of course we're honoured to have young Tom on the line. So Tom, you went, you had the pleasure of attending. Uh, what did we learn from the exercise? I don't think we learned too much more than what we already know, if I'm being totally honest. Um, a lot of it's just, you know, just getting the opinions, well I think that the club getting the opinions of the fans and them trying to communicate better with us. A couple of interesting bits about the attendance and stuff, but... There's, there's not been learned too much more than what, what was already known, apart from maybe the DAC stuff, giving me people a bit more confidence that he'll be here beyond January. I was going to say, I suppose we should be grateful for that, shouldn't we? That uh, At least that they have been prepared to come out quite so clearly and say, uh, you know, we're not selling him, so in that side of things. Sorry, you were saying about Harry Chapman? Yeah, he was brought up. I've got a feeling that there's a chance that we'll see Harry Chapman in the Blackburn shirt again. A big chance, mm-hmm. I would think. Reading in between the lines and from what I was told when I was at the LT. What's his current fitness status, do you know? Um, I'm not too sure. He, he did get an injury earlier in the season. He did, yeah. His shoulder, was yeah, it? Yeah. Pretty sure he's fit at the moment. He's just not playing because he doesn't get in. From what Mowbray said at the consultation meeting, he wouldn't get in our team either. And there's a chance that if we did go in for him, and he has been offered to us. If we were to go in for him, he, there's a good chance he could be sent out on loan from us to a sale one club. Yeah, because of um, course he's in. He's, he is in definitely in the last year of his contract this year. Uh, yeah, because I think the Middlesbrough gave that. Um, they, they took the option, didn't they, for the extra year? So yeah, they were. They, they, that's one thing that Mulberry said. He, he said he was. We, we were offered him in the summer. And I know that he very did almost come on loan, but it yeah. fell through in the last minute, and basically. They were just, but when they when they asked us if we wanted to buy him, they were simply asking for too much. Yeah, I think with his never... with his injury record, signing on a free is almost like mandatory because you only want to be out for his wages. Yeah, uh, and his wages will be low as well, and you be. can structure that on a pay as you play basis. Uh, yeah, hopefully, and try and get something from it. So at the meeting, then who who was there from Rovers and who acquitted themselves the best? Do you think it was Steve Waggett? Tony, Mike Chestnut. Is it Rob Core? Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Or Burnley Bob, as we know him. <laughs> Burnley Bob. <laughs> Former season ticket holder at Turf Moor. Yeah. There's, he... there's a whole podcast episode in that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> if we ever run short of material. <laughs> no, but yeah. Um, I think Steve Waggett's very good at talking. Mike Cheston, for some reason, will never, ever have the support of fans, ever. No. That's <laughs> harsh. For me, uh, I have I all the time in the world for that man. To be fair, the past couple, he's not had anyone give him any stick, but whenever he talks, there's just this big groan. <laughs> um, yeah, but he tipped up for the sleepover, didn't he? Yeah. He's, did the, he? The thing with, uh, yes, with, he did, uh, yeah. Oh, bless him. He, he exactly. does seem like a genuine nice bloke as well. When when I've spoke to him on, on the brief occasions I have, I just think that... He's tarnished. Isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's tarnished with that. I mean, rightly or wrongly, you know, the poor book goes on holiday and then something yeah. something happens. I mean, he was a finance man tasked with running a football club. Absolutely. And that's a tough job. Um, yeah, and Tony's the one, though, that covers himself in all things that are good. Just, I could listen and I could listen to him talk about football for hours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. He's amazing, isn't he? Yeah, he's brilliant. And like, that's, that's, just to go a bit off topic, that's the one thing about being with the LT as well, having that access to talk to him and the same at the consultation meetings for fans to be able to just be straight with Tony Morbury and just ask him questions and 
him be straight to them because a lot of that thing that you mentioned earlier about the fans coming back he said a bit of that in the uh, consultation meeting right just that he used to sneak in with his dad to, yes. the, to go watch Berra and that he understands that you know but he, is a, it, he used the word poor not in like the, the way that to, to offend anyone but obviously it's a it's not a rich town he said that you know he understands that a lot of the it's, like, it's the life and soul of the club um, I think what Jen said earlier on hit the nail on the head with Tony he's just everything that he's done for the club is absolutely outstanding and to listen to him talk like I said it's just it's it's, it's, it's a pleasure that I can't really describe if I'm being honest how many how many fans are there then um, what sort of size sure. audience are you talking tens mm. or are you talking hundreds I'd say between 30 and 40 mm-hmm. around Scott was there he was with the RCS, though I believe he was. Yeah, yeah, he was our yeah. representative. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be uh, on Radio Lancashire this week. I think yeah, on the way to the Wigan game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what Andy Bears yeah. was talking a lot about trying, trying to sell it. That if you're on the way to Wigan, which will, I'd imagine will be quite a few less people after Preston. <laughs> uh, Fifteen hundred tickets sold apparently so far. I don't think it's overly bad for a Wednesday night. No, given, given well, the, especially when it's on Sky. I was just going to yeah. say the impact yeah. of that red button thing needs to be really thought through, and all the rest. That of needs it. to go. That needs to go, in my opinion. It's great. It's great for me living in Sheffield, I have to say. But I'm not sure it's been thought through about the um, the commercial impact. On it. Yeah, the the red button stuff and the, the deal with Sky. They didn't say whether or not they were one of the 15 clubs, because I don't believe all the clubs were announced, were they? That were potentially, or with Leeds, starting with this Premier League 2. I don't think we were uh, part of it. Right, okay. I, I don't know for certain. I don't know for yeah. certain, so I'll, I'll caveat it, but I don't think we were. I think we yeah, were sort of like hedging our bets around the periphery. It did say that they weren't happy with that at all. See, for stuff like that, it's brilliant, but there's other stuff that... You can see Tony's bored half at the time. <laughs> uh, he just looks like he wants to talk about the football and, and just yeah, forget about yeah. the finances. Did uh, any of you um, see the, the Twitter reportage from the Sheffield Wednesday one last season? It was retweeted, I think it went viral. And the um, there was somebody in there from from one of the supporters groups who was sort of saying, oh God, he stood up again and he's saying this. And he's, oh, he's, gone, he's going on about the shirts. Oh, there aren't enough XX, XX, XXL shirts in the supporters club shop, apparently. Oh, he's still going on about it. He's still going on. <laughs> and every time somebody like talked about something else, apparently this one particular guy stood up and started having a go about the fact that the shirts in the club shop weren't big enough to cover his girth. And the guy, the guy who tweeted it, did it, it, it must try and dig it out of Twitter. It was, it was absolutely hilarious. I thought, well, maybe our consultation meetings aren't the worst in the league. So anyhow, there we go. Thanks for that, Tom. That's that. That's that's really good insight. So something else that's happened quite recently is um, Sir King Kenny if you if you can be Sir King went down to uh, to Buckingham Palace to receive his knighthood Michael it wasn't for services to Ewood but I suppose he'll always be uh, Sir King Kenny for us then he certainly will I, I suppose I should do a follow up to that soonest podcast with that would be good a, a kind of a, a leftward view of uh, Kenny's regime <laughs> not as <laughs> not as good as everybody says that would that would definitely get some views on the forum well it would but uh, that Dog Leash he's a what I'd say is everybody Quite rightly focuses on, you know, the absolute, um, you know, winning the title with the the best footballer in the country, if not the world at the time, Alan Shearer banging him in. But actually, the bedrock of his team, it was his fantastic use of artisans, yes, and the way that he created. I mean, we used to, we used to 
We used to really rip it out of Jason Wilcox. We used to call him Bolster Boy. Yeah. I thought he was, if he was going to be a footballer, I was going to be a Wimbledon tennis champion. More chance of being a pipe cleaner, hasn't he, at one point? But somehow, he turned him into a Premier League footballer. And out of all of the young ones, he was the one I least expected to, but he brought them through. And that first game, when we stepped out in the Premier League, you know, who's this, what, who's this Ripley? What's he like? What a player he turned out to be. Let's not forget um, Super Atco. But Super Atco, Tony Dobson... Tim Sherwood, Tony Gale, Robbie Slater. Yeah. You know, the fact that there were players like that that could kind of just slip into the team, put a shift in, do a job, earn us three points, and you know just keep providing the service to Alan the King. I'm going to a launch of a book on um, Thursday night called The Barcelona Way by a psychologist called Damien Hughes, who talks about the kind of method of building a winning team, either in business or in, in his case, in sport. Uh-huh. And... And I'd love to just look at what he's done, uh, what Damien's analysed Pep Guardiola and his Barcelona method and apply that to what Kenny did at Rovers and maybe even what Tony Mowbray's trying to achieve at Rovers, the types of characters you need in the dressing room and the ones you need to chip yeah. out yeah. because they're because they're trouble, the type of players you don't want in that mix. I think, I think it's, it's still extraordinary to think back and I'm delighted that we've got Tom on this podcast for many reasons, but as much as anything else, it gives two old farts the opportunity to wax lyrical about something that happened 30 <laughs> years ago. But, yeah, just imagine, Tom, that like Pep Guardiola walks out of Manchester City in February saying he's like he's had enough and he just needs a break from football. He's and, doing uh, it for human rights reasons because of uh, the Abu Dhabi. <laughs> yes, he, can no, longer, he can no longer reconcile his enormous bank balance with with his with his conscience. And then you know, Mowbray or whatever you know goes back to Middlesbrough to replace Tony Pulis, and we've not got a manager. And and Guardiola turns up at Rovers in the second tier. That's what it was like. And it's just it's just ridiculous now to think back that that guy had won the double with Liverpool. It's it, it sort of as a player and as a manager. It's just extraordinary to think that he turned up that Saturday afternoon and it's <laughs> like ushered him into that rickety old Nuttall Street stone. I still can't quite believe it. Yeah, even if we'd not like won the that, league, it still would have been extraordinary. Sorry, Tom. When you put it like that, sorry. When you put it like that, that really does put it into yeah context, yeah. I suppose, because. I always look at it and thought, oh well, we were a club on the up anyway, because obviously Jack's money had come in. And but when you when you do put it like that, you wouldn't even dream no. of someone like Pep no. coming to little old Blackburn. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that was the vision of Jack Walker, Tom. Um, people forget this, and again, I'll, maybe it's worth re- returning to it. Three clubs that summer, uh, sorry, that year, got taken over by rich local benefactors. Lionel Pickering took over Derby, Sir Jack Haywood took over Wolverhampton Wanderers, and Jack Walker took over uh, Blackburn Rovers. And they finished mid-table. No, Derby got in the playoffs, didn't they, because we yes. beat them. Yeah. Wolves finished mid-table. They languished Wolves in the second years. tier for years and years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Derby really never kicked on. And so it's easy to write checks. And I think people, all these oligarchs are finding this now owning Premier League clubs. Jack Walker's genius stroke was Kenny. Because he was he was like offering Gary Lineker, oh come to Rovers, we'll, we'll pay you a million quid. He's like Blackburn, nah. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the manager? Don Mackay. Oh, you mean Dave? No, Don Mackay. Nah, you're all right. Suddenly, it was instant what, credibility. Whatever wasn't it was, he said to Kenny Dalglish and Ray Harford to come along and do it. That was the catalyst. Yeah. And yeah. players were flocking to come to Rovers. 
Yeah, happy days, happy days. So uh, well deserved, obviously, with everything that he did for for Liverpool, particularly through the Hillsborough years. Um, yeah, uh, a, a tremendous and, and right, rightfully awarded honour. Jen, um, you're not, of course, old enough to remember Dalglish, are you? I am, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I was there when he when he rocked up in that there wooden stand with Parr stood in the Blackman end. Pose the question to Parr that Foker saying that Dalglish was the Guardiola of his day. Parr said, yeah. said he saw something in Shearer. He was willing to pay twice as much as anybody else was and then sold him for significantly more. But then he set the team up around him. And the genius, like Michael said, about getting something out of Wilcox... Parr called Ripley, said, that, that, that one on Jennifer that played on the wing, the one with the legs. And we got him to narrow it down to which wing, and we <laughs> got it to the fact that it was Ripley. But he said to me, and said, he wouldn't have gotten anybody else's team. Dalglish's genius was like Guardiola's now. However, if you ever meet my dad, ask him to pronounce that name, because it's beautiful. Because <laughs> he can't do it. Um, Pep, it's quite spot- simple. <laughs> <laughs> But he's to spot somebody's talent and be able to put A together with B, together with C, and make him work as a team. Definitely. Sir King Kenny. Very well deserved. So, let's move on to, now, a slightly different topic. Uh, I've called it Fat Cattery on the running order. Just a couple of examples. Richard Scudamore's £5 million. What could and should have been done with that money? And Gordon Taylor paid £2.29 million per annum. He's the highest paid trade unionist in the world. Michael, thoughts? Yeah, I work just down the road from Gordon Taylor, and our university have given him an honorary doctorate, so I probably ought to just be a little bit gentle in what I say. But it does, it absolutely staggers me, the greed in the Premier League. I also, I've been involved in junior football uh, local level and seeing the facilities that our kids have got to play with and Phil Foden played in the same league as as, as our kids and Marcus Rashford and you know they're changing at the side of the pitch they're often if they're lucky they're changing rooms a shipping container yeah and this is in the in the shadows of the richest clubs in the world yeah. owned by the richest people in the world paying people ridiculous salaries and Gordon Taylor's taking his cut from all of that as well my old mate and colleague David Conn says the problems of grassroots football in this country could probably be solved by one visit to a cash point machine by a Premier League player. He usually says Ryan Giggs, but that's probably dated, that anecdote. I think it's absolutely shocking. The other thing that hasn't come out about Gordon Taylor and his wages and all the rest of it and what the FA don't do is how little they actually spend on some of these treatments for addiction and some research into players who had dementia from excessive heading of the ball they took a few quid at that one thing that hasn't come out about gordon taylor and this is i verified this i've checked it it's not one of my spurious rants that you have to go and get legaled <laughs> he's he gambled he gambled yes about five four years ago million yeah. pounds over two thousand bets over a 30 month period yeah. and he was then in dispute with his bookmaker so there's no wonder he has to pay himself a ton of money irrespective of what you did for Blackburn Rovers, Birmingham City, Bury or Bolton, Gordon, I don't think you earn your corn. I know a lot of players have got a lot of nice things to say for you, but you don't do enough to spread that love through the rest of the game. 
couldn't agree with you more. I think, uh, it, well, it, 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 I'm amazed that he's hung on for so long because I went back to have a look at those those press articles from 2013 when he owed the hundred grand to the bookie. And it was sort of saying, you know, Gordon Taylor's time, he's up at the PFA and questions are being asked. And somehow he's hung on and hung on and hung on. Mm. And with everything that's going on in grassroots football, it's it's an absolute tragedy. Yeah. Richard, Richard Scudamore, though, that's just laughable. Absolutely laughable. Here's What's five, he need the money for? Here's £5 million. Please don't go to Spain and get them a better TV contract. Ugh. I'll do it for four. There we go. Right, it's quiz time. It's quiz time. So, are you are you ready for another name that rover? Ready. Yeah. The answer to that question is, of course, so ready. yes. Yeah, yes, grabby. we are. <laughs> Damn. Okay, well, that was a short round. Uh, <laughs> no, right, so I've got eight clues. Same rules as last time. So you shout out stop if you want to have a guess. If you're wrong, you're precluded from guessing until somebody else has had the next guess. Are you ready? Yes. Number one. I was born on the 5th of October, 1979. Second clue. I first played in Europe for Empoli. Third clue. It's gone further than last time, thank goodness. I joined Blackburn Rovers from Torino in 2008 for £4 million. If so, I, oh, stop. Stop. Go on, stop. Jen first. No, there's not a cat and else chance this is right. Sorry, two guys. Nope. No, Michael? Right. Stop. Yeah, Vince Grella. It's Vince Grella. Well oh, done. somebody on the subs bench. That's hard. Number, number four should have started to give you a clue. A calf injury kept me out for a month after <laughs> I made my debut. <laughs> kept me out for four years. Number five Tiny was play. I made 38 appearances in a four-year spell, scoring oh. no goals. Oh, Paul begged Gladwin, though, because he's going to be one of the answers in about five to ten years' time. If this podcast it? is still going, I think life will have moved on. The next one was... I was like... man of the match in a pre-season <laughs> friend at <laughs> This is the best one. This is the clincher that I thought you'd absolutely definitely get on. I made just nine appearances in the last two years of my contract at Rovers. <gasps> Nine. Nine. But notwithstanding a World Cup in. Notwithstanding that, the next clue is I represented Australia at under twenty, under twenty-three, and full international levels, winning forty-six full caps. Forty-six times he played for Australia, and he played thirty-eight for us. Nine in the last two years. And the last clue was my first name is Vincenzo. So I was hoping that when we talked about Italy, you'd go for Grabby, you see. Of course, I can't do Grabby now because you're going to guess Grabby every single time. But well done. (laughs) So the the leaderboard has Linz 1, Michael 1 on that. So there we go. So lastly on the agenda tonight, it's just a, a chance really to say thank you to someone and, and wish him all the best in his uh, in his new venture. Uh, we're losing, of course, the club's social media manager, Ryan Grant, who's been a tremendous friend, I know, to, to BRFCS and also, I'm sure, to, to Rovers Chat as well. He, he obviously came on as a guest in one of the um, one of our earlier ed- editions. Tom, um, what, what dealings did you have with Ryan and what would you like to say to, to him? Uh, Ryan was brilliant been brilliant for the club and it's been a great help to obviously the, the lad that runs Rovers Chat and a great help to me as well I think they, when I was at the uh, Telegraph Frankish Telegraph they, all of them like Warren uh, Ryan they both welcomed me with 
open arms and, and were really good with me to be fair like I know a lot a bit of nervous when I first went in but like Ryan immediately put those nerves like at ease and thank you for that but thank you as well for playing a big part and perhaps not maybe an unsung hero because he has got a lot of credit hasn't he but a major major part in bringing this club back to the fans because I felt so disconnected I suppose just over a year ago and he's been a massive part in bringing us back Hmm. Back, back so, together, I think. Certainly has. Michael, your thoughts? Yeah. Cough back to Man United, you mercenary. We're either going for it tonight, aren't we? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Is that where he's going, as a matter of interest? Are you just speculating wildly? Oh, no, I'm, Ian, shall I have a sensible go this yes, time? Yes, please. <laughs> Michael, any yeah. thoughts? Yeah, and a nice one, Ryan. I think you've been an important part of the club in bringing all the fans together. And Jen? Sorry, I can't make a note. <laughs> We've got enough in the square box to make a really good Christmas party. That's the that's the good thing. Oh, I'm so pleased it wasn't me that did it first. Shall, shall I cue, cue you in um, again, Jen? Yeah, once I compose. Just an enormous thank you for me. He's he's opened doors. He's opened communication channels. Without Ryan, Linz wouldn't have had a Conway video. We never been able to check that Reedy didn't hate the colour of his hair or any mention of it. We wouldn't know who his preferred charity was. He wouldn't answer random questions when I'm thinking of articles to write for the Rovers fanzine. Uh, just thank you, Ryan. It, they've got big boots to fill. Have, Whoever's yeah. replacing that boy, big, 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 big boots. Certainly has. Right, that's all for this episode. As always, many thanks to each of our panellists, Jen, Tom and Michael, for giving up their time to contribute at an hourly rate that's considerably less, I think, than either Gordon Taylor or Richard Scudamore. Also to our Velvet Voice Canadian correspondent, Bill Arthur, for another one of his uh, terrific reminiscences. And echoing what we've all just said, good luck to Ryan Grant in his new role. Friend of the pod status is very much assured. And thank you, of course, to you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. Please feel free to share our pod with all your rover supporting family and friends and hit the subscribe button where appropriate until next time by the way massive thank you to joe bamford a brfcs forum member and his band the symmetry for providing all the incidental music used in this episode i hope you'll look them up on facebook and if they're playing live near to you well go and see them Right, compose yourself, children. <laughs> Hands on heads. I'll take a sip of my water. <sighs> I love you, Mr. Taylor. I really do. Michael Taylor swears on demand. <laughs> right, this is the one where I've got to come to Tom first, then Michael, then Jen, because she wanted to go third. Right, so here we go.